I think there is so much more power in building a brand behind an idea. Right now, we are in an epic time of abundance when it comes to data and technology. More data is being spun out about your company, your site, your organization. There's more tech available you don't even know about. Welcome to Non-Zero. I'm your host, Aaron Kanad, and I'm here today with my guest, George. Uh, and I'm already blanking because I didn't have George Weiner, right? George Weiner. Where George, George Weiner. I have cousins named Weiner. So this is this is off to a great start this already. Is, but This is the gift my father gave me. Is it <laughs> Weiner or Weiner? And like, frankly, it's spelled the same way. And my cousins are like, Weiner. Like, you, you're not Jewish, uh, are you? I'm not. I'm uh, According to my DNA, I have a, a grandmother. Um, a little bit of Ashkenazi. I'm 15% Ashkenazi, actually, <laughs> um, according to my 23andMe. So I'm not practicing, but by DNA, maybe. I'm not practicing. My my mother is Jewish, though. So ethnically, it's an interesting conversation. Oh, and my, passes, my cousins, yeah. I think it might be W-A-I-N-E-R, and they pronounce it Wayner. But I had a the funny story about the, the 23andMe. I had a business partner who was a big, big Irish guy from Boston. And he had his DNA done. And it turned out he was like, one percent or less than one percent he came and gave me this big hug he said aaron aaron i gotta tell you i got my dna done i'm one of you i said <laughs> i said that's incredible we're all a little bit of of something but let me actually finish with the introduction because george oh, Weiner yeah. is the chief whaler at a company called whole whale and I'm, we're going to get into what Whole Whale is. At, at a high level, you're a digital marketing agency for social impact organizations. George, thank you for bearing with me in my bastardized introduction. Aaron, I think you skated through that brilliantly. And I think <laughs> it just shows we are very much human. And I know you're going to leave that in for the live because you're a radio guy. That's right. That's, I have, you know I've done a lot of these and you realize it, we'll that. We'll do it live. I, I buy into that and it's important for us. And I hope that Bill O'Reilly, by the way, narrative of like being brutally honest, right? Like making mistakes is part of this process. And yeah, like you said, we're a digital agency. I'm proudly also a B Corp digital agency as of a couple of years ago. And we also have, uh, in addition to our sort of client work, which is predominantly with nonprofits, uh, products, right? So we have some SaaS mm-hmm. stuff on the side, educational tools. Um, university uh, courseware that helps people learn how to, let's say, manage the Google AdWords grant or other unique nonprofit marketing SEO content pieces as well. So yes, we uh, we work on a number of things and we've been at it for about a decade. Uh, so being a digital agency, there's there's nothing inherently unique about that. It's a nebulous term. They're, uh-huh. they're roughly dime a dozen <laughs> these days, but there's a ton there's a ton unique about what you guys are doing. Can we stop for a second and, and talk about what it actually means to be a, a B Corp and how you kind of come about getting that designation? Is it something when, when you set out to found Whole Whale, was it even a thing? Um, and and was, it, was it a desire of yours or, or just by the nature of what you guys are doing, did you kind of just fall backwards into that uh, designation? The B Corp... Um, is different than like B Corporation tax classification is a B Corp is part of a, a network run by the, you know, B Corp as it's an actual um, organizing body. And, you know, when we founded in 2010, I, uh, I don't even think it was like around. And even right now, you know, we have some, some major players, like you think about Patagonia as like one of the big players out there that is like proudly a B Corp, but under, underneath the hood, right? We're, uh, we're an LLC pass through entity out of Delaware. Uh, licensed to do business in the states that we are. Uh, S-Corp uh, is how we are currently structured from a tax classification and tax 
Um, in founding it, I had the decision go left, go right, meaning like create this as a nonprofit, 501c3, mm-hmm. or create it as, you know, essentially an LLC and get it off the ground. And uh, I am still firmly in the mindset that that was the right choice to make it for profit company with uh, normal, uh, normal tax implications. Uh, it is it is absolutely been the right way. So I think that to start the mindset of your founding vision and the type of company you want to be is what makes you a good company. It's not the fact that you carry a label like uh, 501c3. We happen to be a nonprofit. By the way, there's plenty of terrible nonprofits doing terrible right. things out there. And also, if you're a for-profit, doesn't mean that you are you know profit over purpose no matter what. And that's one of the things that I like about, you know, frankly, going through the many, 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 many hoops took me nine months of application and long, long interview process and dues paying every year for the B Corp certification because it's a signal to consumers and to other businesses that like, wait a minute, you know, we've gone through this process. We have transparency. You can find us in that listing of how we scored against governance, environmental, how we treat our labor. All of those. Is, is there an auditor the who comes in and actually works with you and looks yeah. through, combs through the financials? Oh yeah. And so, how do they? So, some of those th- sound like they could be pretty qualitative rather than quantitative. How, how do they dis- determine you're in line with and, and and you meet all of their criteria? Yeah, I encourage you. I think anyone you could actually go find the list of questions they put you through, and some are certainly qualitative, and they are scoring you like micro components. So it's an aggregation of um, some can be finely counted and some have to be like, you know, are you doing these things um, along the way in terms of like treating your employees fairly, giving health care? What percent, for instance, uh, multiple is the CEO paid versus an entry level paid? Like they're getting into the weeds. And I was blown away to the point of being almost annoyed at, you know, what kind of toilet paper do you use? Do you wipe <laughs> on both sides? I was like, Sir, I won't answer that. Do you have to check all the boxes? Because I can imagine you could be incredibly generous toward your employees. You can have an incredible program for you know social impact. And yet you, you mentioned maybe, probably just as a joke, but if you're not internally operating to some sort of environmental sustainability standards, it, it, it scraps the whole thing. Well, it doesn't scrap the whole thing, right? You're getting a total number of points. And oh, I see. Detail, yeah. you need like at least 80 points to pass, right? It may be slightly higher than maybe adjusting it, but there's a total sum of points that you need to get. So you may be crushing it over here in the sector, but like if you're treating your employees perfectly, but treating the earth like garbage, um, meaning like, you know, you don't have any manner of, you know, whatever, composting, recycling, and uh, best practices in terms of eco-friendly transportation, peaceables like offset or things like that. Like you're like, you're not going to make many points there. Right. And so... Uh, it totals it across. You have a max number of points that you can get in each one of these like different categories. And, you know, then you go into like somebody then audits it and sits down and be like, all right, show me that, you know, show me that financial statement. Show me like, you know, your, your, your policy on this or that. And then you have to add that to your bylaws as well. Like once you're in there, you're saying like, I am actually also for the, you know, the double bottom line, mm-hmm. uh, not just, not just profit. And that has to be stated. Actually, we have uh, shares of our company um, and options, and it's part of the bylaws that are uh, in, incorporated in there. So if anyone were to buy, buy in and invest, like that's part of our, you know, part of our DNA. So when the tally came in, you guys were obviously deemed worthy. We did. We were we were deemed worthy. Very proud. And I think that's a tremendous honor. When when you set out to start, you, you're a social media or a digital marketing agency for social impact organizations. Does yeah. that? inherently mean you're working with nonprofits exclusively or social impact organizations can very well be for-profit companies, right? 
Absolutely. I think when I started, it was a little bit more rigid around like, look, look, you got to be a 501c3 and you have to be doing good. And by the way, you know, uh, we have a vote, like literally everyone on the team gets a vote. We have uh, 16 staff right now and you vote on clients. I get one vote. The person who was just hired last month gets one vote and we need a, ma- a majority after discussion of, is this a good organization? Is this the type of work that we're good at? Is it a good team? Is there usually general consensus when you get in that room or do you guys come down where 8-8 vote writes down the middle and you can't decide? We. We've never had a split. We've had we've had contentious ones, and we're like, okay, well, you know, maybe you don't have to work on this client. Um, but we actually, I'm just laughing because we just had one um, go the other way, and I was like, oh, I voted one way, and the team voted another way. I don't know when this is coming coming out, but uh, we, um, you know, it's tough to pass up on that. Unfortunately, we're doing uh, all right financially, and we just kind of wave goodbye to that potential contract. Uh, but it's important to come back to your original question of. Just because you're a C3, just because you're an LLC, it doesn't mean that that's um, the work you're doing is good, that the net effect on the world is positive. And so we try to do that type of accounting and take on, you know, right now we're like 90, 95% uh, nonprofits um, yeah. and 5% social impact organizations, you know, other B Corps or you know, groups that are doing great work. Well, it's interesting that you're being, it sounds like you're being as selective of the people you work with as they are. We always think of it as a one-way road and you want to get hired and everybody wants as many clients as possible and as much revenue coming in to, to, you know, grow the business. But if you have a team that's all on board, I I really like the democratic nature of it. I mean, I I, I don't know. I I would probably get frustrated sometimes. I I wonder how much you wield the, I'm the leader here, you know, and, and here's what it is, or if it really is democracy rules and and uh and this is the people have spoken there are times i'll say aaron (laughs) would be a heck of a lot easier and more expeditious and possibly profitable if i could simply wave that hammer down and be like i gotta be honest raise your hand if you risked everything to start this company not so fast everybody else like (laughs) that desire is in me Uh, i also happen to be fairly passionate about many things and what I will say is you have to use that hammer as sparingly as humanly possible when working with other people. Because as soon as it's used, the thing you're also doing is squashing the autonomy of the individuals and the, the feeling of control and investment that they have in the organization. They're like, oh, I get it. I see how things actually work around here. And so I, I try to think about every which way I can work around that um, as possible. Um, because every time you use it, you hit yourself twice as hard, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so, yes, it's democratic nature. Yes. And I am actually like laughing a little bit because I'm a little frustrated as we speak about it. That's fine. <laughs> but I think what we get in spades is the organization understands that like, no, no, this is this is us working together. And, you know, in, in terms of client selection, yes, we're we're in a very privileged place to be able to be making those choices. And the thought experiment that I did in our last staff retreat which you can, you know, those of you listening can borrow, is putting everybody in the driver's seat of where I sit, which is saying that like, here are a number of clients we made up like fictitious clients. And I have to put my put my hat off to our C, uh, our chief strategy officer. She's wonderful for coming up with this. These devilish scenarios of like, here is a nonprofit that saves the whales, except the CEO was just indicted for a sexually explicit scandal with staff. <laughs> <laughs> and it's in the news everywhere. Do you take it on? <laughs> 
It's almost like, can you separate the artist from the art kind of question? Can you separate the leader from the work that they're doing? Yeah. Um, And so everyone would vote and people were in charge of like making the pitch for and against. And then after all that, at the end, Aaron, what we did is the curveball saying like, let's go back through. If this solution, if, if your choice now rested on, we would have to fire somebody from our team or take these clients, take one of these clients on. How many of you would change a vote? Everyone raised their hand. So the truth of the matter is, right, that yes, there are absolute moral accountability standards and expectations of our clients. But then there's also like, would you let someone on the team go, maybe even yourself, if it meant that we had to pass on one of those organizations that fell in the bubble? Not the extreme cases, but everyone raised their hand. And so it's important to note that like, yeah, it's great to be idealistic, but also we live in the real world with real rent. That's really due. Right. It seems like working at Whole Whale is, is an exercise in philosophy almost and, and morality. You, <laughs> you even put the, work. But you put stated beliefs on your, your job descriptions. When you, when you hold yeah. out for, for people you're looking to hire, you're very clear on who you guys are. The organization is probably not for everybody. But when you can be selective and the fact that you're democratic in how you determine not what, what clients to take, company culture obviously means a lot to you. What else? I mean, was this something that you sat down and thought about in depth before starting the business or does most of this happen organically? How do you, how do you cultivate a good, healthy company culture that allows you to really both the company and the employees to really thrive? I think it starts with asking that exact question and continuing to ask it because, you know, you have to start with the right culture, right? You have to start with the right. I'm using that word from a biological standpoint. You grow what you sow. And so if you start with something that's disingenuous with, uh, you know, tiny little compromises here, don't come back to it. You don't ask that question. Are we keeping up with the culture we need? Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's going to get away from you. I want to I want to come back, though, to the I thank you for calling out like we're, we're uh, you know, sort of beliefs first in our in our hiring. But I had an idea for you, Aaron, in terms of yes, podcasting here, because the other thing we put on our whole slash jobs page, P.S. We're hiring right now. For, oh gosh, I got a digital optimization whaler. We'll call it. Is it a, is it a local job? Meaning must be local, or is no, this a remote no, no, no. position? Uh, I think we have a preference for New York. Whenever the heck okay. that is. I did want to point out you guys are in Dumbo, Brooklyn. So yeah, I just wanted yeah. to put my two cents out there. Shouldn't you be the whole elephant? Seeing the as you're in Dumbo, elephant. Brooklyn. Yeah. I, I also wanted to talk about the, the company name. So let me let you finish because I derailed Hold on. you. This is a really good idea. Aaron. Yeah, yeah. And Let's by the way, it. for anybody, like you can write down, like if you don't walk away with at least like one thing to add to your organization or your page is like, we didn't do our job. So here's the thing we started doing. Um, there are a few podcasts because we have our own podcast as well that we did with employees as like exit interviews when they leave. And ask them, say, like, how did it go? What did you learn? What advice would you give to new people? And, you know, we just, our most recent one was with the person who was running our HR. And we simply put those on our jobs page saying, like, hey, if you're interested in what goes on here, I love this. Listen to people that have left and are in the process, we're in the process of leaving the organization and understand what it means when you walk in here and listen to that. And so it's a way potentially to have like another podcast narrative being like, hey, uh, how valuable would it be as a pre-screen that somebody listened to one of your conversations with your staff about what it actually means to work here rather than being like, ah, I don't know what I'm going into. Spray and pray. Keep applying. So, yeah. Well, uh, attracting top and the right talent, really the right fit is almost as important as the, the qualifications is 
invaluable. And, and I, I could absolutely see how somebody would make their decision based on that information. If they really were having a tough time deciding, I, I could really see that tipping the scale in your direction for whole whale. And I think every business owner, anybody can imagine that getting the right talent in there is, is, is huge. So I love that idea. I was talking about Dumbo, Brooklyn, and but I, I, I do want to oh, hear okay. how... Uh, I grew up in I grew up in Brooklyn. I grew up literally down the block <laughs> there. And my I'm wife's so the 917 uh, area code, and I was actually from Morristown, New Jersey. So all my family's still back east. Most of my family, I should say. But uh, my father hated the weather so much, he moved to California twice. So I'm, I'm a product of Southern California mostly and uh, <laughs> been, been up and down the state for my my part. But so wh- where does the whole whale come from? Um, because now my mind is actually going back to the, uh, an old adage that is you, you eat an elephant one bite at a time, but that has nothing to do with whales either. So I'm going to shut up and <laughs> open the question up. How, do, how did you get the name? Because it's really unique. Yeah. And I want to I pause also here before I launch into like my, my little song and dance on the whole whale, um, sure. and how I came up with it, that, you know, as as an entrepreneur, like initially when I started, like I can always tell when somebody's like named their organization, whether it's like a me or a we, if it's pushing behind my own identity, like if we were like Weiner and Wiener Consulting, which would have obviously crushed it, <laughs> Weiner and Wiener, which is an, I don't know, um, right? Like if it's your last name consulting right. at whatever, it's going to be very hard to grow that concept, right? It's hard to get people to sign up to be like, hey, work behind my name. So unless you're like, so-and-so law firm or whatnot, right? I think there's so much more power in building a brand behind an idea rather than your own name. So I would push anybody who's like on the cusp of like naming and things like that. Um, don't just make it your own name because it, it's it's pretty clear to everyone, even people potential being employed, that like, all right, well, what are we doing here? Are we feeding your ego? And like, what happens if you ever want to hand that off to like a CEO? Wait a minute, I want to talk to the person whose name is on the banner. And they're like, you can all sort of own an idea and a brand that has a story. And the fun thing about naming it whole whale is like, why on earth did you name this company that? Let me answer. Like that's almost every biz dev conversation I have, every right. introduction being like, wait a minute, I got to stop you. What is this? And I've had people that like, I'm buying my like business insurance and be like, I got to ask, what is this thing? <laughs> so that is hopefully what you can achieve with, with a name. And the only thing I would change about our name is the fact uh, I, I wouldn't change. The pronunciation of it, when you say whole whale, like everyone's like, is it like a hole in the whale or is it like the entire whale? Because it's like W-H-W-H. Um, so it is the entire whale. And in that original thought was this idea that of how, you know, 7,000 years ago, the, uh, the indigenous people, uh, the Inuit tribes of uh, northern regions, when they landed a whale, you know, it was a religious taboo to waste any single part of that whale. They used everything Mm. from the blubber to the bone. And in a time of scarcity, it's what we do. We think of every way that we can leverage the assets at hand to achieve our goals. Fast forward to the 1850s golden age of whaling in the sort of Northeast uh, communities where they would go out and they would literally kill a whale and bring back some lamp oil and maybe a couple bones, right? Like just brutal waste. Because it was a time of abundance. No problem. We can catch a whale. We can catch a hundred whales. And guess what happened? You know, depleted the oceans and created problems. Right now, we are in an epic time of abundance when it comes to data and technology. More data is being spun out about your company, your site, your organization. There's more tech available that you don't even know about. Mm-hmm. Levers to pull that could make your mission move forward faster than ever. And in that time, I find us being a little wasteful. 
us, you know, at least in certain sectors, thinking of our site as only, you know, the buy now button and the way to quickly get a customer and like forgetting that there are so many more levers to pull. And in the nonprofit sector, that it's more than a brochure and a donate button. So we're about leveraging the technical assets and tools available, the whole whale, if you will, uh, mindset of saying like, what are the assets, the programs, the tools that you have? Now, let's get the most out of those pieces. So like, that's the kind of story I get to tell and mindset. And then you kind of get it. So yeah, we're a digital agency, but it's a mindset I just talked about. And because I think your point is well taken that like, geez, yeah, let me guess another digital agency. Let me guess what you do. Like, no, no, no. Here's what we do. So you you're able to build that around and make yourself unique and have a story in a, in a, I'll be honest, like fairly generic field of digital ad, you know, digital ads and, and marketing, yeah. however you're branding. Yourself. I, th- I think you were being generous when you said a little wasteful. I think there's people would probably admit there's a lot of waste going around and not even that it's just, it's not always even recognized. I think we're so awash in more, more data and, and, and more information and technology than, than we know how to, what to do with that. You know, the term decision fatigue gets thrown around a lot lately because it's very fashionable. But it, it really is one of the things that happens is, is that you just get overwhelmed. There's just not a lot of great ways to understand and cut through the noise. And everybody feels like they should be an expert in, in the digital landscape because it seems so ubiquitous to everything that we do these days. But the reality is you, you really have to trust uh, and put your trust into individuals who who, who have this is what they're dedicating their lives to. So I, I want to talk about w- what it looks like when you guys do decide that you are ready to work with it, take on a client. All, that enough hands go up, and the the client says, "Yeah, we're we're ready to go." What is the what does the process look like with you? What what makes Whole Whale unique when we're talking about creating programs and campaigns that really understand the client's needs that really you know, address the narrative and, and how, how do you guys make sure that you're not just another signal in the noise? Yeah. A lot of that is up front. Maybe I said that with, wrong though. Do you want to be the signal in the noise? You I want think to be I the signal. That, you want to be less noise, anyhow. more signal. Yeah. And it's the ratio. It's the Delta, whether or not you're heard in that, That's uh, right. in that mess. A lot of it actually uh, has evolved, right? There's uh, we were a bootstrapped organization starting off um and I, I left my left my full time healthy paying job, which was obviously reliable and delightful, and 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 moved into sort of the the unknown of uh, of whole whale and like our first client. Like I was servicing that client, and early on it was like, look, um, a lot of it was in the sales and the upfront. Do you trust me to do the work that you need done? Great, and it's built on that. And then you deliver. Then you know you build inch by inch. A big shift for us in terms of growth was around the the method that we pulled together of productizing our offerings saying, all right, here's certainly like analytics and advertising and like the Google ad grant and SEO content marketing. And it was kind of like mushed together. It was when we productized that saying, Hey, this is the accelerator. Um, it does this, 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 and this. Then people were able to quickly say, yeah, I kind of want that package because what we shifted to is the, you know, the adage of people don't want a drill and a quarter uh, quarter inch drill bit. They mm. want a quarter inch freaking hole. Like I want the hole in the wall. Right. I don't want the freaking drill. They're after the, the outcome. outcome. So they we, don't care. We yeah. outcome focused and uh, productized our our service offerings. Now, what it actually looks like, um, a lot of that is worked up up front, but it always starts with an analytics sort of overhaul and an impact survey, being like, why do you have a website? What are we doing here? How do we establish some North Star metrics that are measurable for you? And mm-hmm. then we get 
into the code, we get into the weeds and we track, you know, we track that email, we track that form, we make sure it all is actually working so we can speak with the common language of if we make this number go up, will you be happy? Because if you just jump to that point of being like, all right, let's jump in and do your SEO audit and make sure that your website doubles in traffic and whatever. And then all of a sudden, you know, you call them six months later, like, uh, is it helped your business? Did it actually work? Like, no, it didn't. Because we're not getting, you know, any more sales. Like, oh, wait a minute. You wanted that to happen? So we established that up front, step the measures and then move into like, all right, is this an advertising route we're taking? You know, are we earning it? Are we paying for it? All right. Now we go down those paths. We program it out. So we've got projects it, that are like three months and then longer retainers. Did it take you a number of times going through this process with clients where you saw that similar result? You felt like you got whatever KPIs or whatever it was that they you were thinking you were measuring the success of the campaign on. And then they said, well, wait a minute. Actually, it was this. It was because usually when you start with outcomes, you're, you're never really left guessing, right? You always know whether or not the work that you're doing is providing the outcome that that the client is is looking at but a lot of times it's not clear from the get and I, i'm i'm curious too when when you ask somebody something as simple as why do you have a web <coughs> excuse me a website are you surprised by the answers you hear do do people not really have a a good answer to why do you have a website or at least what you would consider a, a you know a a really thoughtful uh answer i really love that question cuz it's so innocent and you're like, oh, I, I, I know, I know why I have a, do I? So, you know, for those of you listening, right? Like think about like, what is that question rather than telling somebody why they have a website? Cause I could, I could hit, I could hit the target 90% of the time, but it's so much more valuable one to have them start to spin their wheel on an obvious question. Um, and then two, to see how that matches up with reality. And then three, what ends up happening when you ask that question of multiple people in an organization is you get different answers. And so what does that mean? It means the goal is not necessarily the same to everyone in every department. So the times when we mess up, we find ourselves, you know, siloed in one room of a larger organization being like, well, we should have talked to more people, shouldn't we? Well, your Mm -hmm. boss didn't agree with you on this. There is, you know, inevitably when you come in to solve one problem, it's all connected. It's all related to whatever extra internal strife that's going on. So you want to get that picture. And so you learn a lot with sometimes those, uh, those innocent, obvious questions. You're addressing the patient, not the symptom or not the disease. When when you guys go go in, do you find that? I mean, we're talking about the whole whale. Do you find that a lot of what you do? Because it sounds like you could launch a campaign. I mean, digital marketing can be done pretty haphazardly and 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 launch very quickly. But when you take yeah. this approach, you're, you're almost coming at it from a branding angle. You really want need to make sure that the people you're working with understand who they are at the core. I mean, if we're talking about an individual, we're talking about therapy. This is some version of like corporate or business therapy where we're saying, hey, what's what what are we really trying to accomplish here? Um, that that seems like an, uh, a daunting task to me, um, or at least it seems like it could slow a process down and, and create a lot more work for whole whale than maybe some other digital agencies set themselves up for. Have you guys found that that a is is that the case? Because maybe I just really missed the mark. But b, if it is, I imagine on the back end it probably leads to a, mo- a lot more repeat business. Um, but maybe you could just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think you know you want to you want to be careful. Like, all right, are we creating a zero to sixty branding campaign with all the design assets and whatnot? Like, what we're more focused on is really the data therapy. The mm-hmm. idea that it's cool that you want to achieve that. What are the numbers associated with 
that? What are the clicks on the site? What are the, you know, the near term, what a user is doing right now? Can we measure that aligns with what you're trying to achieve? And we're a great sort of plus one to like, a, you know, a great design, a great campaign that's already been formed. And we're saying like, well, how are you going to measure that thing? And by the way, we need to tweak it this or that way. Um, you know, I'm less enamored with the like, you know, Sachi and Sachi, one word will solve it all. And I'm more with like, hey, I guess what? If we measure it all, we're going to see what works and do more of that. That's the process that I sort of buy into and get the client to buy into. And so I could, you know, we can help you develop those campaigns, but it's more important developing what we want the outcome to be, our ability to measure that. Yeah. It means that anytime that like someone walks up to us and be like, hey, we have a ton of money. We just need to like spend it right now on this thing. And if they don't buy into the measurement of that thing, we'll walk away because guess what happens? You spend a hundred grand and they come back and are like, all right, where's the report on how it did? Because our funders want to know and our, you know, our donors want to know. And we'll be like, all right, you, you got this CPC, you got these clicks and it went to the site. And they're like, well, well, wait a minute. We didn't, you know, it doesn't tell the narrative. Like what, what do people actually do? And you sort of just have to take, you have to, you have to make sure the measurement is in place before you, you go down that road. So yeah, we, we take like uh, a few extra weeks in order to start something because it's, it's too important to simply say, I bet good things happened and here are some high level. A bunch of people showed up to your right. site and who cares the bounce rate was 95. That data a lot of times is siloed. It's, you know, you're, oh, yeah. you're dealing with a lot of different, different systems, right? So is, is part of what you guys are doing, aggregating all of that? And do you have, have you developed a, a platform on your own that allows you guys to get the whole picture, see the whole whale for, for what it really is? Hello. Or are you working with the systems that, you know, everybody would be familiar with the AdWords that, the, um, well, I'll just let you answer. Yeah, a little, little, little of both here, right? I am, we try to be tool agnostic for the most part. You know, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Sometimes the cost of transition is just too high. So we have worked with like almost everything under the sun at this point. Uh, we have a bias toward Google Analytics and making sure that that free tool is maximized to measure as much as possible. And then when it comes to connecting that with whatever your CRM is and, and other pieces, yeah, we did develop a little lightweight tool that uh, connects uh, emails that are acquired and users that are acquired through the site to the uh, Google Analytics individual user ID. Um, but in terms mm-hmm. of platforms, we work with uh, what people have. Um, and a lot of the aggregation work actually uh, can be done uh, fairly elegantly and cheaply in Google Data Studio. Uh, we've got some of the top downloaded templates on the platform that we like give away actually. And so you can just like tie those up to a couple data sources and be like, oh, here's the view. And, and so I know knowing where you go to answer the questions. But this like, you know, belief that like, oh, if only everything was under the same roof in the same way, like it's just, you know, you're you gotta you gotta go with go to war with the army you got. And, and so there's ways of making those things work together and answering the right questions. Um, and then there's some that you're just like, look, if you wanted to spend, you know, an extra hundred and snowplow everything together, like there's a way to do it. It's wildly expensive. And by the way, the insights that you'd get are only 10% better than what we can deliver with what you have. Yeah. Most people don't even use what they have. Are you working directly with, you know, CMOs and companies, uh, digital marketers, the, the, the paid search professionals? I mean, who, who's on the other end when, you, when you're having these conversations and you're showing them the data and you give them the report to actually have clarity? I know mar- marketers are the first to go. You know, they, they get the axe most quick, mo- mo- quickest. Um, they, they oftentimes don't feel like they ever have 
the enough data or to, to justify spend or to to really even take the next step and launch. You, you don't often see marketers going from CMO even to the CEO. So there's like a leadership ceiling. There's just this frustration in, in, the, in the marketing world that it's, it's hard to actually pinpoint what it is that we do or point to all the good work. And so... Do you do you find are, are you making like a a hero and a champion out of the marketers by w- when you guys do sit down after the fact and and show them all of the data what do, what do those conversations look like I think it's a really like it it's a poignant question here right because your client is not your client your contact first is who you are working with and making mm-hmm. them look like a hero is quietly maybe your first job and so delivering those data in a packaged way with narratives that they can then pass along. And when you do that with intentionality, be like, hey, here are the three slides. I don't know. We'd recommend sharing with the executive team because it shows what a good job you did, not us. You did on managing this process of turning $1 into $2 in this campaign. Here's the tidy little chart that shows year over year growth of 25%, which you really did a great job in making sure we achieved. I would share these three slides if I were you with your board. (laughs) So um, it's absolutely you guys are sitting on the same side of the table as them along the process and and helping them make sense of all of this, obviously. Yeah, I love that. Aside from the selective nature of who you're working with, because we're talking about doing well by doing good, right? You guys are obviously in the business of uh, and, and that entails making money and bringing on clients to do so. You have a very uh, strict selective process, meaning the people you're working with just simply by amplifying their message and helping them do better is, is helping you accomplish the, the, the why behind whole whale, right? Is what I'm trying to get is, is, is there anything within the process of digital marketing itself that can be inherently good or bad? I mean, you can imagine in, in, you know, the energy space, you can, you can burn oil or coal in a, in a, in a poor way. You cannot, you know, you let pollutants leak out into a river if you've got a factory. Is there anything about digital marketing itself that in your mind can be, you know, you you can make better decisions about how you operate as a firm for the greater good? Or is that kind of just the, the, the part of it where the tools are what they are, you operate within the ecosystems I don't think anybody's going to go out screaming that Google is some sort of awful company. And by using AdWords, you're, you're making the world a worse place. But does the question even make sense? Yes. There's so many different ways to answer that because the like unequivocally, like we are being handed the most sort of powerful and manipulative tools ever, ever known. Right. And you can look at the advent of the radio and was like, is that a good thing or bad thing? Well, it depends on if you were part of a certain certain campaign in Germany during a period of time where it was used disproportionately and Germany literally paid to have radios put in everyone's house for a very particular reason. Mm -hmm. There's no question that when you capture someone's attention over a period of seven to many times that you're changing their opinion and thoughts on something. And there are absolutely black hat and white hat ways of using that even for good. And so, uh, you know, the, the process can paint how it's impacted and how your net impact on the world is. So let's say, let's make it more tangible. Like we've got the, you know, we got the like, go help gardens grow campaign. Seems great. Now, if you go out and you, you know, spam a bunch of people, you buy hawk lists and you tell your client, Hey, here you go. Just message these people until they're like, they're on the ground and do these disreputable things. You know, the net effect, maybe they make a couple bucks now. But their reputation in general, and they try to expand his ruin. Oh, we're that group that does that. 
Oh, and it goes, you know, reputation first is the uh, most valuable brand asset you have. So you can do damage quite literally by advertising a certain way. We also try to steer away from the tokenization and victimization type of narratives that so sadly, frankly, uh, characterize nonprofit marketing of like, hey, here's this or just child. the cost of a cup. They're going to be tossed off this cliff unless you yeah. give now. And I'm not pointing fingers, but I'm just saying you can do that only so many times. Is it effective and this though, generation then get into that ends justifying the means kinds of thing. And for people who are really feel, I don't want to say high minded people who really feel strongly about their cause, they might say, well, anything is justified if I can just get X. But I get what you're saying about the, the brand. It makes a lot of sense that if you're operating in a specific way, you're going to alienate people and you're going to ruin your brand name. So the reality is you're, you're probably actually doing more harm to your cause than good, or at least your particular organization than good because you're going to ultimately, I mean, in the world age of the internet, everybody has access to everything. Yeah. I, I mean, I just love this narrative because it's maybe one of the biggest changes I've personally made in my um, internal approach to social impact. I started my career with a get it done by any means necessary, like find the hack, find the, the quick way to do uh, whatever it is, or the most effective way to leverage it. Because at the end of the day, we're getting, you know, more people volunteering, or we're getting this end goal, which like, if we achieve this, it, you know, nothing else matters. And I said, like, I don't care what the process was, get it, get it there. The ends absolutely justify the means. And as I've gotten yeah. older, what I realize is that every time I've chosen that route, and I have, I'm a bit of a schemer mm -hmm. for good. Um, and I will look for that angle and I still do. And the but anytime, <laughs> anytime you do that, I mean, it is, I am, I am, uh, I play above board all of the time, all of the times, because here's what the thing is when you are in the mindset of the ends justify the means for the good cause, it simply means you haven't done the total net accounting, summing up all of the externalities that happen when you have that road taken. Um, and you're simply looking at one part of it is saying that mm -hmm. like, ah, obviously like nuclear power is completely cheap and it like should be done everywhere until you calculate the true cost of removing that at the end of the day. Who cares about removing nuclear waste or uh, the 0.01% chance it blows up? Well, guess what? Every time you choose an ends, ends means argument on the extreme, you have put an unquestionable amount of risk in a way that you haven't properly calculated into the equation. And so like, if you are being a true pragmatist and a strategist, you have to think about the risk inherent yeah. in, in that narrative. What do you think about the, the, uh, the idea that negative externalities, I mean, that's really on the government. If we had a proper system, it would be, we would have a free market system with confined by certain restrictions, right? And so companies should have to accommodate and account for the negative externalities. And it means operating as a purpose-driven company, if that negative externality, if, if getting rid of it makes your product or your service more expensive that you're, to the extent that you're priced out of the market, you can't compete, right? Do you, do you, you, you look toward for these things as far as the selective nature of who you work with? Do you find that the people who are purpose-driven and, and the, the social impact organizations that are actually making money and running very, you know, profitable, successful businesses, are they the exception to the rule or have they tapped into something? Is there just enough will within the people that we can kind of skirt around government intervention and just say, no, there's enough appetite for people to, to, that want to be doing business with companies that care about the greater good that 
negative externalities are, aren't going to matter because we're just going to the demand for the, the, the better companies will just crush any company who who is doing anything harmful. I, I know that that's an extreme example, but is it, does the question make sense? It does. You know, I'd say, you know, you're looking at, you know, can we just rely on the government to do a perfect calculation of, you know, externalities and like, absolutely not. No. Right. I mean, I do think that, you know, carbon tax, carbon credit, those pieces like should be more standardized and create rules of play uh, in a field that try to level things. But the, the calculations are too hard and involve too many codependent factors. And so uh, one of the things you've seen from the, the consumer market is a growing bias for organizations that make the world less shitty. Um, and they're getting savvier and we're getting more transparent by the fact that... This is where B Corps like, come in. I mean, the fact that we have that designation is evidence of this movement, right? Totally. And then there's plenty of people scheming, you know, uh, out there trying to put stuff on their packaging, being like, all right, if we make this look green and it kind of looks like a B on this, or if it looks organic, we say the word organic, even though it's not USDA certified, um, like there's standards that have been put in place there because people were scheming. Right. So um, I think the uh, the consumers shaped by the media um, that they are consuming over time is is moving that way. And there are plenty of, uh, plenty of ways of taking advantage of it. Um, I do also want to come back around on the like, ends means and like how we calculate and, and price things. It's like, sometimes I get a little frustrated. It's like, it is hard to do the right thing um, in your business and be, mm-hmm. you know, sort of treating your employees properly, paying everybody the way they should be pricing things as fairly as possible to take into account of everything that should be done, um, as well as doing good in the world. Like that's, that's a heavy tax. That's a lot right. to do. Um, for, for sometimes you're out. even vilified for it. Do you have an opinion on, uh, do you know who Dan Price is? The, the CEO and founder of Gravity Payments, I think, up in Seattle. I don't he was know. In, he was in the news a couple years ago because he said he was going to pay every single one of employ- his employees. And he's not a big business. There were maybe 60 to 100 people at the time. A minimum of like $75,000. And then there, there are the folk out there who like evangelize, you know, uh, the free market saying this is the dumbest thing in the world. You're either going to go out of business or this isn't how it works. You're not supposed to just pay people because you think it's the nice thing. It was a really weird backlash that he got that I never could have entered. And he's still ta- out there talking about it all the time because he's been successful. They've grown to you know 200 people. I think it was a bootstrap business, never never raised capital. And you know he's the, the major owner and, and stakeholder, so he can do that without backlash from some, some sort of board that's going to just remove him because they think he's crazy. But, you know, is it, it's weird that, to me that you would get some sort of backlash from doing something that just in your heart you feel is, is, is what makes you a good human being. And I think he could justify it as a good business move the same way you can justify having a democratic vote with your team as being good business. Um, but again, I, I have to feel like these are like the exceptions to the rule rather than the norm. What I'm, I'm wanting to get at is, do you think that over time these things will become the norm? Do you think they actually are just good business practices that what, with widespread adoption would actually make a lot more companies a lot more uh, productive, effective at what they do, a lot more profitable? I think happy employees, people that feel like they're rewarded uh, will make a better company. And I think when you're able to say something like, hey, here's like 75K for everybody who walks in the door, um, you're sitting in a place of privilege that you should maybe acknowledge, right? That you have a business model that is not thin margin and someone Mm -hmm. there who's like 
hey, I got a 5% margin and I can't do this. And now my employees are expecting it. Yeah, they're frustrated. Um, and frankly, we're in a society where right now uh, the pendulum is swung toward, uh, you know, being tried by your jury and peers in a Twitter mob. So I really, <laughs> I dislike where the current public discourse is in terms of evaluating whether or not somebody has done a good thing or bad thing because there's no room for a nuanced thought. There's a, right. uh, are you with us or against us? Let's mob up and go get people. And I, I don't, uh, I don't like it. I don't think it's a good, good way to have a discussion about innovation. And I'm like very careful actually about how I talk about the incentives that Whole Whale offers and what we're doing. And, you know, it comes back to trust and saying like, look, this is, you know, you know, you can look at our B Corp score. You can look at our benefits. They're right there, but I'm not out there being like every organization should be doing this. I'm like, look, we, this is where we sit. These are our margins. This is what we do. Um, and then internally, I'm very transparent. Every quarter I present, um, our, our financials as though the staff were our investors. Um, cause they are, they, we do profit share at the end of the year. And if we do well, they do well. Um, and if we do poorly, guess what? <laughs> Yeah. We don't they're, get as much. They're not doing as well. They don't do as well. So I think right. a model that like sort of uh, what I like um, to get to the core question is I like aligning the incentive. Think about the incentive. Align the incentives of the individual to work on behalf of the company. If you're saving money for the company and you're like, why Like, why do I even care that I did that? Now we have mm-hmm. folks on our team that are getting on me when I spend and they're like, hey, George, what was that about? And I was like, kind of my company and I kind of wanted to buy that, but I understand. And they're like, that's part of the profit calculation. And so you want to think anytime when you're doing something good, what happens when you align that incentive with the behavior you hope to have? And so the other piece that is sort of frustrating is like, I am, uh, I am a subscriber and full believer that no matter what you have chosen, there's going to be an unintended consequence. It's just right. a question of how big that is. Incentives produce outcomes, but you don't always know what those outcomes are going to be. <laughs> you intended some of them. I've That's never right. made a single decision. I like. I just joke now. I think everybody that works with me on our executive team, it's like uh, we're making a decision. I'll be like, "We'll see." Like, there's going to be an unintended consequence to this decision. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think that is? <laughs> as much as we can sort of premortem this thing. Yeah. Well, I, I think some of that is forgiven. A lot of what you're talking about is just being a human being and treating your employees as humans and leveling with them and, and treating them well. Um, and so. Some of it is it can be forgiven because it it does come down to what's your um, not incentive, what's your um, motivation, right? What's motivating you? And I think people people understand that. I think that's when when you look at companies that are trying to do good, there, there's always the potential that you can do harm, even when trying to do good. I think we touched on that earlier, and so. This is, again, a philosophical question is how important are motives versus outcomes. But I think when you're dealing with individuals, we can, you know, it's important to look to motives because it speaks to who we are and and, and our character. And I I love everything you guys are doing at Whole Whale. I wanted to at least uh, give a plug for it because you you guys just launched a digital fundraising course, right? For nonprofits. Is that correct? Yeah. Part of our educational series, the digital fundraising gets you from zero to 60 and how you're raising money for your cause, cover things like, you know, Facebook fundraising and what to do with your email list and turning those into donors. So thank mm-hmm. you for that. Yeah. And so they can go to wholewhale.com slash fundraise. We'll put that in the show notes as well as a link yeah. to Whole Whale um, and really want everybody <laughs> at a minimum just, just to take a look at what you guys are doing. But more importantly, really to just think about what you guys are doing. Think about how you operate your business because I think it's an imperative thing these days um, we, we do live in a time of such incredible abundance, but um, 
you know, there, there's a lot of excess that comes along with that. And I think there's a lot we can do to think more about the whole whale. And, and by that, I mean, everything from, from, from our environment and our world to, you know, our collective communities and, and just the human species, but really all species. But anyhow, now I'm getting very high minded. And what I wanted to do was actually just kind of wrap up and give you the last word because I appreciate your time. And I'd love to have you back on another time later uh, to, to just continue the conversation. Anyone out there working on something bigger than themselves, like you're doing, you're doing great work. And just remember, um, it, it's normal to have days where you feel like your battery's empty and you're frustrated. And I think in those moments, I, I put my head down and do the work. And then on the, the days where I'm up, where I'm excited and I'm not about to do work that, that frustrates me because even when you love your job and love what you're doing, there's stuff you just are frustrated to do. But when you're in those high minded places, when you're in those high excitement places, create the plan, tell your, tell your team which way to go and do that type of work. And it's completely normal to like oscillate between the two. And you know, this is, I'm not as far as I would have liked to have been. Uh, if I were to say like, all right, I did this 10 years ago, I should be a lot farther and be frustrated. And I have, contemporaries and peers and like if you want to be cooking up a recipe for frustration you know compare yourself so um you know those are the sort of thoughts i want you to keep in back of your mind and if you're if you're listening to a show like this you know non-zero i'm saying like how do i um make a living and make some purpose so like you're you're starting off with the right questions and right groups. so uh thanks for I having me that, on yeah thank you so much i think that's a brilliant place to end it so george it's a pleasure uh we'll talk again soon i hope